Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We're starting a new series today that I'm excited about. It's called, we're calling it Transformational Church. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit in, in a moment. Um, but I, I want to share with you something that took place in my life uh, about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, Pastor Kurt would take me places with him. And one of the places that he took me was to a conference that I probably had no business being at because it was mostly for lead pastors. And so he takes me in this environment and introduced me to some of his friends. And um, he introduced me to this one guy. I wish I could remember his name, but I don't. But anyway, Kurt walked away and, you know, Kurt's social butterfly dude and a um, lot, of, lot of woo power. And so he's out there wooing. And um, so I'm talking with this guy. And uh, in the conversation, the guy says something like, um, you're not what I expected. <laughs> and I think, okay, thanks. He said, I expected you to be taller and bald. And, you know, it was one of those moments that caught me off guard and I just said, I'm sorry, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I went on to say something like, check back with me in a few more years following Bradford around, I'll probably be bald. So, anyway... Um, when he said that, he said it almost with disappointment. He went on to tell me, he said, you know, the way Kurt talks about you, I really thought you were going to be this giant of a guy. And, um, you know, but it was just obvious that he had misconceptions about my physical stature, you know, um, and uh, my capacity for retaining my hair. Um, he, he, he was, was under misconceptions. And I, I thought about that. I was reminded of that as I was thinking about the numbers of misconceptions I hear about the church of Jesus. And, and there are a lot of them out there. A lot, a lot of misconceptions, you know, out there about, about the church. And so therefore, it oftentimes creates false expectations. You know, I think one of them is you'll, you'll hear people talk about a misconception of, of church that they have is that everybody that goes to church is judgmental. You know, or, you know, they're going to be unfriendly or they're going to be out of touch with what's going on in, in the world today. And, and it may be from people who have never stepped foot in a church or people who have been out of church for, for years. But when church is mentioned in the media or when church comes up maybe at work in the break room or just, just wherever, they, they attach these negative stereotypes that they've heard about to the church. Or maybe they have legitimate experiences that activate negative feelings that they've carried around for a long time and they begin to just kind of rise up. Now, you and I both know that we live in a world today um, where many who say they love Jesus don't see the value of doing what we're doing right now coming together to worship him to celebrate his goodness to kind of come together they don't see the value in spiritual authority and oversight in their life they don't they don't recognize the need for accountability and oftentimes these folks have kind of like a battle cry or a mantra if you would and, and they'll say something like this I love Jesus but I don't do organized religion. You ever heard that phrase? I don't do organized religion. You know, and what they're saying is, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. 
That's, you know, and, and some of them will give reasons that are genuinely better than others. You know, maybe, maybe they had an issue with the church that they grew up in, uh, and it was just boring. And it was really out of touch with, with the reality of the day. Maybe they really did have a preacher who was angry and yelled a lot and all he ever talked about really was money and hell or, you know, how you'll go to hell if you don't give your money. I don't know, but, you know, just angry. Um, maybe, maybe their pastor talked in a monotone, Eeyore kind of voice. And when he spoke, it was kind of like reading the instructions for assembling a grill. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, it was just wh wh whatever. Uh, and you, three minutes later, you're asleep. You know, or perhaps maybe they had an experience that involved a lot of ritual, you know, stand up, sit down, say this, say that. And they never understood why they were standing or sitting or, or saying. They, they just, it never made, it never connected to any kind of reality for them. And Others that I've heard talk about the church have spoken of that uncle, you know, who went to church every time the door was open. He was thought of by his community as a pillar of community, a pillar of the church, and yet he did harmful, inappropriate things to that person when they were young. And that's just attached to what they think about the church. And they say, if that's the church, I don't want anything to do with it. And some of those are reality-based. And one of the things that there's a lot of out there today is there's a lot of polling data, a lot of information on what's going on in the church in, in America. And if I, had to, if I had to sum it up, um, what the secular world is kind of saying about the church, I'd sum it up with this phrase. It's going to come up on the screen. And it's simply this. Jesus is still important, but the church is irrelevant. That's what many, if you kind of get to the end of the polling data, that's kind of what you would hear is, I, Jesus is still, you know, somebody that I, I love and could connect with, but the church is just irrelevant and I don't need it in my life. And it may very well be that it's because they don't see enough Jesus in the church. They don't see enough Christ in the church. Now, while I would completely disagree with, with that statement, we have to connect with the sentiment behind it. We have to connect and understand with what's going on. Why, you know, why somebody might diss the church because they had a bad experience with a volunteer. Because somebody treated them unkindly or they had been a part of a church where the pastor actually did do something like misappropriate funds or, you know, their feelings got hurt by a leader or they were part of a church split and said they'd never, you know, be at odds with their friends again. Or my favorite one is there are just so many hypocrites, you know, in the church. I could never go to a place where there are that many hypocrites and this is not the best evangelism strategy I know but my response, it just comes out, there's always room for one more, you know. You, I've never found anybody who likes that response, I'll just tell you. Um, but I, some, sometimes my flesh just kicks in, okay. Um, I don't know if that ever happens to you. But here's the deal. There are a lot of, even within the church, there are a lot of unrealistic expectations about the church being perfect. And it's just kind of 
unimaginable that that would be true when you think of the church being made up of broken and flawed, imperfect people. That's just who we are. And I'm chief among those, you know? I, it, it's, when, when people have problems with the church and they, they think about the hypocrisy, oftentimes I find out though, it's not because they have this expectation that people would be perfect, but they talk about people pretending like they're perfect. And they would say that what it looks like to me is that the church lacks actual vulnerability. And that it's not dealing with their own reality of their struggles and their sins and their slip-ups while looking down on others. That that's the hypocrisy normally that, that they're talking about. And so it causes them not to feel like we think as much of them as we do of ourselves. And if that's, if that's reality-based, then that should be repulsive. I, I wouldn't want to be a part of anything like that. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that. But God's word says a lot about the church. And so I want us to think about that. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next six or seven weeks. We're going to think about the church. And I want us to start by looking at this verse in Ephesians chapter 1. It says this. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. What Paul is saying here is Christ is the head of the church. And you can't separate Christ and his church any more than you can separate a head from a body. And so when our culture kind of says, you know, I love Jesus, I got no use for the church, something's missing. So there, there's something that, that that's, there's, there's an incongruency here. They've missed out on something. And so we're starting this series today to think about transformational church. And I don't know what thoughts come to your mind, you know, when you're not in this building and you think of, of church. Maybe for some there's still pain attached to your thoughts of church. Maybe for most it's, it's positive, I hope. But here's the deal. The church, the true church of Jesus in the power of Jesus has the ability to transform human life and human culture and cities and neighborhoods and communities. It's, it's happened time and time again. And one of the things that I hope to do is in this series is challenge some preconceived notions about what the church is. And I hope that it will lead us to really be the kind of church that you can say with full hearts, I love my church. I just, I love my church. I love the church in all its shapes and sizes. Now most of you know that our, our mission is to make disciple-making disciples. That is, that is our mission. And part of what that means is we've got to connect people first with Jesus and then we've got to connect people with one another. And there are six, there are probably others, but there are six very distinctive uh, traits of transformational churches that we're going to look at um, over these next few weeks. And we're going to talk about them. And, and each of these actions, one of the things that we'll do is it will, it will help us clearly think of what, what healthy, vital vibrant transformational churches are doing and, and what it looks like. And that's why I wore my River Bluff t-shirt today, was to celebrate the church. And I want to encourage you to consider getting one. 
to getting a River Bluff church, uh, t-shirt. They're, they're, they'll be on sale in the office after this service um, if you want to, want to get one. And, and my prayer and hope is that for, for encouraging you to do that is that it might spark conversation. Is if somebody sees you wearing the t-shirt that they might say, where is that church? I don't, I'm not familiar with it. And not only could you tell them where, but you could tell them why you go to church. Why you, you love the church of Jesus. What, what you really think about it. How you understand it to really be his body. And it's the place where Jesus, you know, is doing his greatest work on the planet is through his church. And how, how he's jealous for her. For, for his church. Now, the biggest reason, however, that I want to encourage you to get and, and wear one of, one of these shirts is so that maybe you can break apart some of these misconceptions. It's going to come up on the screen. This is the biggest reason that I would encourage you to do this is because people's misconceptions about the body of Christ are not going to be changed by an organization. In other words, the church can't change those misconceptions. Only individuals can. We can't come up with a slick enough marketing campaign to change the misconceptions in our culture. However, it can be transformed by individuals like you. Getting opportunities to talk about your love for Christ's church. Capital C and little c local church. Where you could actually talk about it. So, what if... What if through you, through, through your life, people could see the radical love of Jesus in the church? The way that you love them. That they, they would see Jesus' love for the church through, through you. And that they might connect. And so for these next six, six weeks, we're going we're gonna to think about that. We're going to look at churches that transform. And, and I'm saying that because there, there was an actual study done. It involved 7,000 churches. It was the, probably the most comprehensive. They, they touted it as the most comprehensive study done of its kind. Um, 7,000 churches participated. There were hundreds and hundreds of interviews with leaders and, and members. And what they found were that there were certain churches that kind of rose to the top where transformation was happening in, in truckloads. And there were some things that were consistent across the board in these churches. And it had nothing, it didn't matter what size they were. It didn't matter what worship style they was their primary format. That wasn't what was important. There were other indicators about that. And I want us to think about one of those specifically today. And it's the one, it's the one that was foundational. It's the one that they point to as uh, the foundation of all transformational churches. And it's this idea of a mission mindset. And what they discovered is that churches that were truly seeing and being used by God and transformation was happening within its members and transformation, God was using that church to transform what was going on in the community. All of that was taking place starting with that church's mindset about missions. I want to read you a section from the book. The study actually got put in the form of a book called Transformational Church. Our elders and our staff have been walking through this for a season now. And uh, I just want to read you a couple of excerpts about this particular thing of missionary mindset. It says, as we surveyed the best churches in our study, it became obvious that there are churches who are active, that these are churches who are actively seeking to understand their community. Transformational churches ask real hard questions about those in their community. Transformational churches then use this information for a purpose. The purpose is to make disciples. 
Many churches know facts about their community but do little with those facts. Transformational churches have a missionary mentality and this is the singular element that summarizes their perspective and objective that their church holds for people around them. It is the sense that we are not here by accident. The missionary mentality means that the church understands that the community that it finds itself in and it will minister in contextually appropriate ways to reach the people in that community with the gospel. This missionary mentality helps with the church's global vision as well. A church operating as a missionary in its local community is much more likely to see the need for active participation in God's global mission as well. Discernment informs the church's values and activities. Moving to an external focus pushes the church from doing missions as some secondary project into being the mission way of life. The churches we discovered with this transformational practice are serious about fulfilling Christ's command to make disciples. And they go through and out of this study, these kind of six characteristics rose to the surface. And we're going to be looking at those. Our, our elders have been planning this for a while. We're, we're going to, as a church, we're going to do a church-wide survey. We're going to take the survey that they did with those 7,000 other churches. And so it'll help us do some comparison and database stuff. And so we're going to need your help. Um, every, every thought, every life, every experience that you have uh, with River Bluff Church matters. And so we want full participation. The survey is going to take place the week of um, October the 14th through the 21st. So you can take it any time during that time. And we're going to send you uh, email and we're just going to bombard you with some information about this. You'll have to use a special code to log in. It's done on the internet. Um, for those of you who are saying, what's that? Um, you know, uh, or if I said you'll do it online and some of you think, you know, you got to go hang out clothes on it or something like that. We, we, you can use a paper copy, okay? And we'll have somebody else put your data in on the internet. So we're, there are allowances for everybody. But we would love for most of you to go online and do it yourself. It will take you about 20 minutes. Now, whether you're a member or a regular attender or you've just been visiting, we would love for you to participate, we, we, we really would. We want, want full participation in this. It will be very, very helpful. And uh, so I, I'm coming representing your elders saying this is something that will help us lead better, we believe. So please plan to, in that week, to set aside about 20, 25 minutes to take that. And, and again, we'll, we'll be giving you more information, but it's the week of the 14th through the 21st uh, of October. And... Um, uh, again, everyone who calls River Bluff my church, we, we would love. Students, you know, youth, we, we, we want you to participate as well. So this morning as we begin kind of this series, as we're launching this series on the transformational church, I want us to talk about what I believe and what their findings, um, and even more important, what Jesus says is the most critical indicator as to whether our church or any church will truly have a missionary mindset will truly have this mentality towards God's mission. And uh, there, there, there are multiple factors, but we're only going to focus on, on the one. And it's the element that Jesus himself said is the one. And it's this, it's love. It, it's, it's radical love. And to unpack this, kind of unfold it today, I want us to think about two questions that we need to ask ourselves individually. We need to ask ourselves as a church as it relates to this idea of love, as it re relates to having a missionary mindset. And the first question is this. 
why, why is it essential that I love others radically? Why is it essential that I love others in a radical way? Why can't I just love them kind of softly and gently and, you know, why, why, does that have to be, why does that have to be radical? Why is this so important? Well, because it was the marching orders of our Savior. It's what Jesus said we're going to have to do. It's, it's what he shared with his followers. One of the last things he shared in the last time he met with them um, that, that gave them their marching orders. We find it in John chapter 13. And don't forget the context of this now. The context is this is the night before his suffering. This is the night before he was betrayed, went through his suffering, died and was buried. Okay? Um, so in John chapter 13, Jesus says this. In verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This idea of love. Jesus left his disciples with this one charge. To, to love. He says, don't be mistaken. The only true mark of a follower of Jesus is their capacity to radically love because my love can flow through you. And Jesus didn't say, here's what I need you to do. I want you to try really hard to love. He didn't say that. He didn't say, just do the best. You know, that's what we tell our kids. Just do the best you can. He didn't say that. Jesus said, I am commanding you to love as I've loved you. Love radically. Love till it costs you something. Now, most of us, many of us anyway, know that the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. And my, I, I had two years of Greek uh, out at CSU, and my, my professor believed that God chose specifically the Greek language because it was so technically um, challenging and, and because it uh, was so very, very accurate and very detailed with words that were descriptive. And God knew that. And God, so God chose this language to be the language uh, that would best describe his heart for the world. And this way he could make certain that we would have understanding in every meeting. Unlike our language. The English language. And for instance, we, we have one word for love. What is it? Oh, you're a sharp group. It's love. You know, it, we, we have one word for love. Now, here's what I want to do. I, I want us to do basic Greek 101 um, in, in four minutes or less because... Even though I had two years, that's about all I got, um, is four minutes uh, of Greek. You know, in the Greek language, there are four words for our one word, love. Um, there, there's, first of all, a, a word called eros. And this is, this is the kind of love that uh, is a, a, about attractional love. It's, a, it's kind of a, a love we get our word erotic from. It's, in the Greek, it really was like this romantic, sexual attraction kind of love. It was the love where sparks come. But if you were to sum up the meaning of that word in a little phrase, this is how it's best summed up. I love you if... You want to think of that word eros and that kind of love. It's an I love you if. 
I love you if you will do this for me. I love you if you will look a certain way. I love you if you will make me feel things I want to feel. Then I will love you. Very, very conditional based love. No, no, no commitment. It's just based completely on feelings. Second kind of grouping that I want to give you, it actually involves two Greek words. Uh, the first word is storge, um, and that has to do with family love. I, I love you because you're a, a member of my family. Um, you know, you were born into that. Uh, it, it, there's, there's a connection there right now. And um, then there's, and I just messed that up, storge is really about uh, friend love, okay? Uh, phileo is about brotherly love. That's the other one. But they're kind of grouped together. And both of those could be kind of summarized with one phrase. And that is, I love you because. See, I told you I struggled with my Greek. Um, I love you because. How, how many of you know Philadelphia? Ever been to Philadelphia? Okay. Philadelphia is the city of? Okay, just making sure that my people from Philadelphia knew that. Um, city of brotherly love, and it just, it's that word phileo, basically. But it's the, 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 the way that you could summarize both of those words together is basically this. I love you because. I love you because you were my best friend in first grade, and we're still connected even though we're separated by miles. You know, I love you because, you know, you're my cousin. It's that I love, it's just an I love you because kind of thing. Because there's some kind of connection from, from the past. You know, that, that kind of deal. Um, now, that's a better kind of love. Maybe it's, it's moving a little less conditional. But it's still a very conditional love. We're still not, not at the, the ultimate love. A, a completely unconditional love. The way, that, the way that God loves us. And that word, as most of us know, is the word agape. Agape love. And it means a totally unconditional love. It's the way that God loves us. And it's the kind of love that you could kind of summarize this way. I love you in spite of. I love you in spite of your flaws. Your brokenness. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your behaviors. It's not about dumb things that you've, mistakes you've made. Your slip ups. Your, it's not about that. I love you unconditionally. Mistakes and all, warts and all. I love you regardless of whether you even reciprocate your love back to me. I, I love you unconditionally. That's agape love. Okay, Greek class is over. Most of you scored higher than I did, just so you know. Um, I can assure you of that. But when we, when we read passages of Scripture, especially when we read John 13... It is somehow easy for our minds to get slippy, slippery on what love's being mentioned here. And so I, I want us to think deeply about what's going on here. When, when Jesus is making this statement in John 13, this is not eros, this is not storge, this is not phileo, this is agape. This is that kind of love that Jesus is speaking of. So it would read kind of like this, it's going to come up on the screen. A new commandment I give you that you agapao one another. Just as I have agapate you, you also are to agapao one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have this unconditional agapao love for one another. And that's what God wants us to have. And that's what Jesus modeled, demonstrated. So here's, here's what that would kind of look like when this love starts kind of flowing through you. It would be a love that you would have for those who are maybe unlovely. 
It would be an affection for those maybe who are ignored or rejected. If you have this agape kind of love growing in you, you may begin to find out that you even have a love that you can't describe, but it's a concern, a compassion, a love for the greedy, a love for the dishonest, a love even for the vulgar. If you can come alongside these people and treat them with the love of Christ, Jesus says, you know what's going to happen? The world's going to sit up and take notice. The world's going to see that. And they're going to know it's not just because you're such a great person. They're going to know my love's flowing through you. Later, after having written the gospel, John would write several epistles. And these are his writing to the church. Thoughts that he had because he had spent so much time with Jesus. And in John's epistles, he always uses this kind of family language. He calls... Uh, Christians, brothers and sisters. And it's this way he expresses. And he talks about God's love that way. That the church is not supposed to be like a family. We, we're supposed to be family. And it's supposed to be a deeper kind of love. It's supposed to be agape love. And Jesus says that our love for others will be evidence that he, we're loved by him. Have you ever done something like this you may have reached out to somebody that you had not anticipated doing um, and after the whole event was over you had this thought I'd have never done that five years ago I, I would I would have never I'd have never saw somebody hurting and then later called them I, I just wouldn't have done that well that's that's agapao love flowing out of you that's that's Jesus's love flowing out of you you're starting to have a greater resemblance of him. He modeled it and now you're starting to live it out. His, his love for you is always agape love. And so if you're going to walk in that love, this no strings attached love, it will eventually start coming out of his people. That kind of love that you just know. There's, I'm not doing it so he, he'll love me more because you begin to understand there's nothing you could do to get him to love you more. Nothing you can do that will cause him to love you less. Because it's an unconditional love. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. It's recorded, he says, we will speak the truth in love because we're growing in every way more and more like Christ. So if, if, if you're loving more, it's because you're growing in, in Christ. And it goes on to say, who is the head of what? His body, the church. See, Christ, Christ is the head of the church. There, there, there's that message again. You can't separate Jesus from the church. You can't say, Jesus, I love you, but I have no love for your church. That makes no sense. Men, if you want to do something really stupid today, if you've just been, you know, we do dumb things from time to time, but if, you just, if you've not done anything dumb lately and you're just feeling like a need to, go home today and look your wife in the face and say, Honey, I love your head, but I hate your body. I'm not going to do it. I just, I've got my quota of stupid in, just so you know. Um, so I'm not going to do that one. But I mean, we, we see how nonsensical that is. It's ridiculous to think that you could say to somebody, love your head, hate your body, you know. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, we, we gather together weekly to worship the Lord. To kind of get connected to his life in him. 
our marching orders so that we're of the same mindset. We have the same purpose. We're in, heading in the same direction. And we do that because we, his word teaches us and we've seen it happen that he is most glorified when we are unified. When we're, when we're working together for the same purpose. And he, he tells us that that is a powerful picture to the world that is already skeptical of the church. That it's a powerful picture when a group of people love each other so much that they're devoted to the same purpose. And in our world today, where it seems like everybody's opinion is just scattered and there's so much tension and turmoil, when people see people loving each other, people who are different even, have different backgrounds, coming together loving each other and are unified, they take notice. And so that's... This is one of the reasons why it's so important that we love with this radical kind of agape love. Second question that I, I think helps us think about this is this. How? How can I do it? How can I actually love more radically? How can I take the love of Jesus that's in me a step further and have radical love for others? Well, John writes about this in, in 1 John 4. He says, Beloved. He's talking about that family language again. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And there's a few things that we need to think about when we're trying to love with this radical love of Jesus. And I, I want to read the verse 8 again. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So I want to give you a couple of just thoughts on what it looks like to really display this radical kind of love. First of all, if I'm going to display this radical love of Jesus, I've got to do it intentionally. I, I, I've got to be, be intentional about it. See, this word agape is not an impulse love. Eros is an impulsive love. Agape is a very intentional love. You intend to do something out of this love. You, you get out of your comfort zone. You start looking for opportunities to love people. You're kinda, you have this new love radar that's gone up. You look for people who are discouraged and you seek to lift their spirits. And you do it not expecting anyone, any kind of recognition in return. I, I know of a small group in our church who, they heard about a lady in our church whose car broke down. And she was financially incapable of getting another car. And they took a collection up among themselves and they purchased her a new car. They gave her this new car so she could get back, so she could stay employed. So she could get back and forth to work. I, I was uh, at, Kathy and I went up and visited some of our world changers. And we got wind of something that happened that some of our kids did. That many of you know about our world changers. They, uh, Pastor Terry leads this ministry and it, they're not doing world changers anymore. It's mission served. But anyway, um, it's still all good. Trust me. But th this group of kids had, some of them had sacrificed. Uh, you know, they all sacrificed a week of their summer. Many of them have to do jobs, odd jobs, in order to raise the money to pay to go um, on this. And they go and they serve uh, the poor and helping them fix up their homes. And this group of, of young people that had been assigned to this, this particular lady had fallen so deeply in love with her 
they saw other needs that she had and so what they did was they chipped in their spending money that they brought for fun day they chipped in their spending money to buy her other things that she needed for her house for her household that that's agape love that's love that's looking to do something beyond you know, it's this, it's this, it puts the love uh, of Jesus on display. It's, it's intentional. It's an intentional reflection of the love that they had experienced in Christ. That's what agape begins to look like. Intentionally displaying the love of Jesus. But it's not only intentional. If we're going to fully display the love of Jesus, it's got to be unconditional. We've got to do it unconditionally. We talked a little bit about that earlier. You know, there, there are actually things that you can do for people that you would not ordinarily do. That, I mean, just that you can set out to do. For instance, that person at work who treated you so horribly last week, you could write them a note this week to encourage them. That's agape love. That's unconditional. It, it's not conditioned upon how they behaved and treated you. But you can reach out and love them no matter what. That nasty next door neighbor, you know, when you bring your trash up this week, you bring their trash up. You, 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 you do that. You, you take care of them that way. It's these unconditional, intentional acts of kindness. It's not random. These are unconditional, intentional acts of kindness. It's, it's the way that we practice and demonstrate unconditional love. And it's kind of counterintuitive. The truth is, for most of us, our love works hard at being conditional. I heard uh, uh, of a guy this week that told a story about how when he was in the dating scene, how he dated girls. And um, it, it involved three boxes of chocolates. A large box, a medium-sized box, and a small box. And... Um, what he would do is before he went on a date he would buy th these three boxes of chocolate well anyway his friends had fixed him up with this girl that was like two towns over and uh, he had never met her it was their first date and they had talked a few times and um, her parents were uh, you know a little concerned about her dating somebody they didn't know anything about so their first date was going to be at a meal with um, with her parents and so he he went along with it he heard some great things about her and uh, his friends had talked her up so anyway he leaves his town forgetting to get his box of chocolates and he, he goes ahead and he drives on into her town and looks frantically for a candy store goes in and buys these three boxes of chocolate you know giant size medium size and small he gets up to the register and you know buys these boxes of chocolate and the guy said this is strange. What, you know, this isn't like candy season. It's not, you know, Valentine's. He said, what are the three boxes of chocolate? I want three different sizes. And so this guy tells him, well, it's got to do with my dating strategy. He said, I'm going to this girl's house and this is our first date. And, you know, I'm hoping she'll walk me back to the car after everything's over with. I'm meeting her folks. And, um, and so, you know, if she just gives me kind of a hug and a pat on the back, I'll reach in the car and I'll give her the small box of chocolates. And, um, you know, if she gets me kind of a, a better hug and maybe a kiss on the cheek, she gets the medium-sized box of chocolates. But, man, if she plants one on me, big box of chocolates. You know, she's going to get that. And the guy says, I've never heard anything like that in all my life. So anyway, he leaves there with his chocolates in his car and he drives to her house and he gets there and um, it's a little bit before they're going to eat and uh, there, there's some small talk. But anyway, they sit at the table and then finally dad walks in. He gets home from work. And 
So you know what's going to happen, don't you? He gets home from work. And so he, you know, sits down and he kind of sees this guy. And so he asks him to pray. And so the pressure's on now, you know. Um, and so this guy prays everything he knows out of the Old Testament. He prays everything he knows out of the New Testament. He prays for every food group available to mankind. He prays for the hands that prepared. He just prays for about ten minutes. And, you know, they have a fairly nice dinner. And uh, they, he hangs out a little bit with the family. And then eventually he gets ready to leave. And she walks him to the car. And uh, as they're kind of walking out, she says, you know, there's something about you that I learned tonight that my friends didn't tell me. And he says, oh, what's that? He said, uh, she, she said, that you're so spiritual. She said, none of my friends told me about that. And he said, really? He said, well, there's something I learned about you tonight too. Your friends didn't tell me that your daddy owned the candy shop. And um, <laughs> that is not agape dating. That's not unconditional dating. That, that's a conditional, you know, kind of thing. And it is so easy for us in, in our flesh patterns to do things conditionally. And we've got to break out of that. We've got to be intentional, but we also have to love. We have to love un, uh, unconditionally. And the truth is, love in our world is complex and complicated. And because we've all experienced conditional love put on us it's hard to sometimes break through that and to really love unconditionally because we we pursue what we want we, we kind of have this agenda and our motive is is less than honorable for others you know there are times that we will do good things we'll do acts of kindness for somebody but we're hoping that somebody's going to see it you know we'll we'll display some act of helping somebody at work in hopes that we get the promotion you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do things with strings attached. You know, you, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours kind of mentality. That's not agape love. Motivation matters here. You know, remember what we said earlier? That the reason many people say yes to Jesus but no to the church is because they don't see enough Jesus in the church. They don't see enough of him. But what if they did? And what if they saw him in you? What if they saw Christ in you? John writes in 1 John 4, he said, Beloved, if God so loved us, if he loved us so, that he sent his only begotten son, if he loved us so, we also ought to love one another. Love intentionally, love unconditionally. And that, that, so that means things. It means things like when you're out to eat and your server is not as serving as you like them, you still tip generously. You still engage conversationally that leaves kind of the fragrance of Christ at the table. And if you are wearing your River Bluff t-shirt, you tip extra generously, you know? You, you, you do it intentionally, you do it, you do it unconditionally. But you also do this understanding that you're a representative. So you do it representatively. If you want to display the radical love of Jesus, you've got to do it that way. You've got to understand that you're an ambassador. Look at this verse that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Just a quick question there. 
how appealing is God through you? How, what is the appeal of God through your life? What does that look like? Paul says, we speak for Christ. What are people hearing about Christ? See, we're representatives. And it doesn't matter which church you go to. And it doesn't matter whether you're wearing your shirt or not. You're a representative. You're a reflection of Jesus. And part of what that means as a representative, as an ambassador, is we don't get to pick and choose who we love. Who he puts in front of us. And when we'll love. We have to respond with no strings attached. Loving unconditionally. As if Jesus were, were us. As if he were doing it through us. That, that's agape. And that phrase literally has a connection. That, that agape love of obligation because of his love for us. This, this indebted kind of love. We, we must reciprocate back. We must love that way. There was, I'll start to say a moment, there were many moments in the life and teaching season of our Lord when the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had grown to hate him. They just, they hated him. And they were always trying to trip him up. And Matthew records one of those, one of those moments in Matthew chapter 22. We can read about it there. It tells us that one of them, one who was an expert in the law, a Pharisee, tried to trip Jesus up with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest, most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says the entire law and everything, all of the Old Testament prophets are based on this. On, on, based on this. Just these two commandments. And Jesus goes on here. What he's saying is that everything, everything absolutely depends on love. The mission God has on this planet of making disciples depends on love. And so here's kind of the big idea for the day. Just scaling it down real quickly is simply this. That if we will have a great commitment to this great commandment, it can grow a great church. And it can build a great life. This, this kind of one thing, this great commitment to the great commandment that Jesus gave here. Now I told you back at the beginning of this message that the context of Jesus speaking those words in John that are recorded in John 13 about loving one another, that the context of that was the night before he died. I want to read them again. It says this, in fact, would you read this with me? It's going to come up on the screen. I want you to read it out loud with me. John, this is from John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the context of that statement was this final meeting before his night of suffering. These, these words that Jesus spoke. But there's an even more specific context to that. Jesus, just before that statement, had talked about a new covenant. He spoke about this new covenant that would be established in his blood. 
And then Jesus gives this command. Now, this is much like the Old Testament. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, uh, to, to get the Old Testament law? He comes back down carrying the law, and there's this new covenant, this covenant relationship with God. And God says, these are my commands, and if you keep them, I will be your God, and you'll be my people. And the people said, we'll do that. So there was this covenant. But those covenants had covenant commands. They had stipulations. And, and there weren't just 10. There ended up, there were 613. If you go back through the, the, the teachings of Moses, there's these 613 kind, kind of laws for this relationship that God had, a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And now Jesus, on the night before he would be crucified, he says, new commandment time. A new covenant. I'm making with you. It's going to be a covenant in my blood. And here's the command. And there's not 613. And there's not even going to be 10. This time there's one. There's only one. Every covenant has a stipulation. Has some commands related to it. But Jesus said this one. There's one command. There's just one command. You are to love. You are to love like I have loved you. You are to love. You're not to love like you want to be loved. You're, you're, not, you're not to love like, you know, you think you should be loved. You're, you're to love the way that I love you. Now, here's the, here's the deal on that. Those men sitting at that table would have been able to think back over the last two and a half or so years and, and know how Jesus loved them. They could, they could literally think when he said that, oh my goodness, here's how, here's how we love me. This is what he did for me. It was very personal for them. And then on the very next day, he would make it more personal. He would do a demonstration. He would put his love on such a great display that it would take the breath from them. When we think about it deeply, it takes away our breath. I mean, it took away his. That, that sacrifice that he made. And then after he was resurrected, they were never the same. They were wrecked. I mean, they, they were just wrecked for Jesus, you know. God raised Jesus from the dead and they got it. They, they finally understood what it meant to wash one another's feet. They finally understood what it meant to pray for their enemies. And they came to understand that this, this mark of love should be the mark of every follower of Jesus. It should be the mark of Jesus' church because he first loved them. It should be the, the, the hallmark of, of every Christ-centered church. That we're to love others the way that God, through Christ, has loved us. And so, Jesus said it in that verse. That that's what God wants of And whether you're talking about the capital C universal church, or whether you're talking about the little c local church like, like River Bluff, we, we have to understand that the church, both of those churches, big C and, and little c, you've got to be captured by the reality that they are simply filled with broken, mixed up, messy people. That's just the truth. And that we're, we're all, every last single one of us, are, are this work in progress. But that even in our mess... Even still in our sin, we are called to represent in love to the world our good and beautiful Savior. We're, we're to do it intentionally and unconditionally, fully aware that we're his representative because he first loved us. And, and yes, we're, every church is just a, you know, a, a colossal collection of imperfect, broken, mixed up people who are intent 
on following Jesus in his radical love. Experiencing it for ourselves, but then pushing it out there for everyone else. I, I want to close on with this last thought. Just, just kind of, again, summarizing today. Love, it's going to come up on the screen. Love that gets talked about only can easily be ignored. If it's just talk, if that's all it is, it can be ignored. But love demonstrated is irresistible. Agape love demonstrated in real life, real time, is irresistible. It'll change the world. It'll change a life. It'll change a family. It'll change a home. It'll change a neighborhood. It'll change a city. It's done it before. And transformational churches that have this missionary mindset that's rooted in love can be used by God to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come in this moment. I come to start with confessing, Father, that uh, my quotient of agape love often runs dry. Not because I haven't received it. Not because I, I, it hasn't been poured out on me. Not because you've withheld but just because I haven't. And so I confess that today, God. Maybe you need to do that. Holy Spirit, right now, all of us need to hear from you where in our lives we need a greater demonstration, a greater display of unconditional, intentional, representative love for you in our world. Maybe, maybe it's in our homes. Maybe it's in our parenting. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's where we work. Maybe it's how we drive, wherever. God, Holy Spirit, show us right now where our love needs to increase in its expression. And Father, I, I also come now knowing that maybe for the very first time someone heard clearly today about your love that it's all about your love your unconditional love that you pursued us that that's why you sent your only begotten son because you so love the world that you sent him to die to pay a penalty none of us could pay for our sin so that the whole world might be saved and so God Right now, maybe there's somebody here who for the very first time has heard and the gospel has connected to their souls. And if that's you, the Bible says that today, right now, is this acceptable time for you. It's a time for you to step in to Jesus, to accept his offer of forgiveness of sin, his offer to bring you into the family of God, his offer to give you new life. And maybe right now where you're at, the Bible says if you will call upon the name of the Lord, if you will do that in a way where you, where you repent of thinking that you should do life your own way and you trust and do it Jesus' way, 
The Bible says you're saved. You can be saved if you'll repent and believe. You can do that right there. You can just call in the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that your sacrifice was sufficient even for me and my sin. And I'm trusting you with my life now. And I want to receive your love. And then I want to be a distributor. I want my life to be transformed by you. You can do that right there. And if you do that, please let me know. We want to help you take those next steps. But now we come to this moment in our service where we get to give back. We get to give back in worship. We get to come together and unify our hearts around the purposes of God that are rooted in the love of our Father. And so we come now, God, celebrating your love. We celebrate by, by giving back from our resources that you have blessed us with. Out of joy, out of love, we give back because we want to see the gospel spread. We give back to support the work of the kingdom right here through this local church. We give our hearts back to you. We recommit ourselves afresh today to follow you, to demonstrate your love that's unconditional, that's intentional, and we'll be your representatives. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.